Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Ayers LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Ayers LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is titled, Things Aren't As Bad As People Think by Alison Gopnik. Then an article by Harriet Torre, Hate Baggage Fees? Wear a fishing vest on the plane. Brian Gormley wrote, Augmented Reality Comes to Surgery. Then an article by Michael Huerta, Tear Down This Perimeter. And we'll follow that with an article by Greg Opelka, How to Succeed at Failure. All these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first article, Things Aren't As Bad As People Think. Are Americans cockeyed optimists or incorrigible pessimists? Do they think that American society has improved or gotten worse in various ways? And how accurate are their views? You might imagine that the answer would be nuanced, that it would depend on factors like people's politics or news-consuming habits. But the answer isn't nuanced at all, according to a new study. In research published earlier this year in the journal Clinical Psychological Science, Gregory Mitchell at the University of Virginia and Philip Tetlock at the University of Pennsylvania looked at these questions empirically. Everybody they tested, young and old, conservative and liberal, news addicted or not, showed the same pattern. Everybody thought that most things had gotten worse even if they actually had gotten better. Pessimism reigned. The researchers used data from the United States Census and other sources to objectively assess 24 trends in American life within the last two decades or so. They looked at changes in areas such as the average wage, incarceration rates, and life expectancy. They noted how many teenagers had babies and how many old people had their original teeth. They examined certain trends for minorities and women specifically. In 22 of the 24 areas, they found that conditions had measurably improved. A group of people from across the political spectrum who were shown the data agree on whether the trends were good or bad. Then the researchers asked a representative sample of over 1,000 Americans what they thought. People were given specific choices for each trend. Were things about the same, or better or worse, by big or small degrees than in the past? Overwhelmingly, people were too pessimistic and gave too little credit to positive change. For instance, the high school dropout rate for black students has decreased by about five percentage points in recent years. Good news. But few people chose that response. The most popular answer was that the rate had gone up by the same amount. Participants were only overly optimistic about two questions, both about life expectancy. They thought it has risen more than it had, and accurate about only one trend, men's average wages. The oldest participants and the most politically liberal ones were the most pessimistic across the board, 
but pessimism permeated every cohort. The researchers also measured how much people watched the news and how well-informed they were, and that made no difference. The researchers suggest that all of this pessimism may be rooted in basic aspects of the way we think. Bad things we have seen or heard about most recently have the most impact on us, leading us to romanticize the past. But they also note that the study was conducted in 2021 amid COVID lockdowns and growing political polarization. Something about our era may be making people especially open to assumptions about social decline. As the researchers concluded, we found something on which all Americans seem to agree. Things are getting worse than they really are. Should these results make us optimistic or pessimistic? The good news is that things are almost always better than we think. The bad news is that pessimism can itself be an obstacle. Other psychological studies suggest that even unrealistic optimism can, make, can help us take action to make things better. Believing that things can change is a prerequisite for actually changing them. So maybe studies and columns like this can actually make people more hopeful about the future. That, anyway, is what a cockeyed optimist like me has to believe. And now, hate baggage fees? We're a fishing vest on the plane. Peter Barnett was galled by increasing airline baggage fees, both for checked and carry-on luggage. He went fishing for a solution. Barnett, a personal assistant to a film director, bought a multi-pocketed vest fit for a day out catching bass. In went his rolled up trousers, shirt, hat, tie, shoes, and charger cables. There was a pocket big enough for his laptop. I just carry it on. This is my jacket. They don't know what's in there, he says. Once on board, he sticks it into an overhead bin. It allows me to have really cheap vacations. Americans are facing stubbornly high prices, pesky fees, and confusing surge pricing and airline rates. Some of them are rebelling. Two can play that game, says Chelsea Dickinson, who dispenses tips on CheapHolidayExpert.com. She has removed the memory foam from her travel pillow and jammed in clothes. For a flight from London to Lisbon earlier this year, she bought a 15-pocket fishing safari vest on Amazon for about $14 and used it as wear-on luggage. I see it all the time, says Patrick Berry, the president and CEO of Fly Fishers International, who travels frequently and notices more passengers wearing angler's vest. He understands the appeal. Almost all the vests have huge back pockets. It's amazing what you can put in there. But he doubts these vest-wearing travelers are actually anglers. No self-respecting fly fisherman or woman wants to get caught by their friends wearing a fly fishing vest in a public space where there's no fish to be caught, he says. You would look like a giant dork. What are you going to do with a box of files and your emergency compass in O'Hare, he adds? Nothing. 
airline seat selection and baggage fees, known in the industry as ancillary revenue, have long been the norm among low-cost carriers, and now many other airlines have rolled them out. President Biden has proposed action on what he calls junk fees, surcharges tacked onto concert tickets, hotel bookings, and other purchases. Restaurants have added new fees to counterinflation. Barnett, the assistant to a film director, estimates his multi-pocketed workaround on airlines flights has saved him hundreds in fees. I always like shortcuts that are ethical shortcuts, he says. Industry analysts say airline fees can, besides producing revenue, help speed up boarding since fewer passengers bring roller suitcases when they have to pay for them. On YouTube and TikTok, vacationers are filming themselves packing their things into travel pillows or vest pockets for flights. While there are actual travel vests available, most are opting for lower-cost fishing vests. Before a flight from Los Angeles to Dallas, attorney Julie Walters went to Dick's Sporting Goods and bought a fly fishing vest, despite never having fished before. To get ready for a trip, she put snacks and other mini items into the weird small pockets on the vest and then stuck her swimsuit, pants, and other belongings into the larger pockets, including one on the back. At first, she found wearing her luggage too bulky. The clothes on your lower back, kind of hard to sit, she says. You couldn't lean all the way back. There is this puffy thing. She took a few things out, but still squeezed several days of clothes into the vest. Waters videotaped herself breezing through the airport and onto a Spirit Airlines flight and then posted this successful experiment to TikTok. No one batted an eye, but a friend did make a comment that someone could have thought you were some kind of crazy Unabomber-type person, so that would be the biggest downside, she says. What I really want to try is the pillowcase one, where instead of a pillow, it's full of clothes. A spirit spokeswoman declined to comment. Airlines are familiar with some hacks. Ryanair last summer retweeted a photo of a model wearing a full-length jacket with a zillion pockets and wrote, Don't even think about it. Elaine Safel recently relocated to Bangkok from Alberta, Canada with his wife and bought similar vests due to the 15-pound weight limit on hand luggage imposed by most budget airlines in the region. It's almost impossible to pack within that limit, says Safel, who adds, We are really paranoid because that's how the airlines nail you, with extra baggage fees. The vest fits his tablet, phone, headphones, passport, wallet, snacks, earplugs, camera equipment, and even a water bottle. Cargo pants provide further pocket space. He also appreciates that with a vest on, he doesn't have to fumble under his seat to get things from his backpack. For me, having to bend over in economy seats and reach into my backpack You have to be a bit of a contortionist to do that, he says. And Brian Gormsley, augmented reality comes to surgery. Augmented reality is operating room. Venture firm Thrive Capital, founded by 
Joshua Kushner has led a $20 million first or Series A round of venture funding in Metavis, a New York-based startup whose software allows medical images, such as those from magnetic resonance imaging and CT scans, to be superimposed on the patients. Surgeons can view the three-dimensional image through any commercially available AR headset such as Microsoft's HoloLens 2. Metavis system essentially provides x-ray vision into the patient's anatomy, said co-founder Osama Kaudry, a neurosurgeon at NYU Langone Health. The Food and Drug Administration cleared Metavis system for use in planning surgeries in 2019. The company is now pursuing FDA clearance to use the system during surgeries, including procedures in neurosurgery, orthopedic, and plastic surgery. AR, which overlays holographic images onto physical reality, isn't new, but its use in surgery is just getting started. Kareem Zakai, a Thrive General Partner, noted that software advances that deliver the precision needed for surgery are relatively new. And securing regulatory clearances and research publications to support the technology takes time, he added. Thrive was drawn to the promise of using AR to improve safety and outcomes for patients and helping surgeons provide more life-saving care, he said. In the same way software has transformed so many industries, We'd like to see software transform healthcare as well, Zaki said. Chowdhury and Christopher Morley, a radiologist and president of Medivis, founded the company in 2016. Imaging is vital surgery, but the two-dimensional view surgeons usually have forces them to construct a three-dimensional view in their mind, Chowdhury said. Medivis's AR technology allows them to map a three-dimensional medical image directly onto the patient for surgical planning and navigation, helping surgeons perform complex procedures, the company says. This technology inherently reduces uncertainty, Morley said. Dr. Stephen Monteith, director of cerebrovascular neurosurgery at Providence Swedish Neuroscience Institute in Seattle, said Medivis system helps surgeons develop an operating plan and more clearly see the distance between brain tissue and blood vessels, for instance. His institute has used the technology to plan brain tumor removals, among other procedures. We have found that using the system, we can get a better understanding of a patient's individual anatomy and pathology, Monteith said. Metavis isn't the only startup applying AR to surgery. Augmetics, based in Arlington Heights, Illinois, secured FDA clearance in 2019 for a navigation system used in spinal surgery. Founded in 2014, Augmetics has developed its own headset used to visualize AR images. For example, surgeons can use the system to aid the placement of screws used in procedures such as spinal fusions. Augmetics technology has been used on nearly 4,000 patients, said Chief Executive Kevin Hikes. 
Augmetics, which has raised about $66 million total in venture capital, recently caused the Series D financing and plans to disclose the details of the new round at the end of the month, he said. As for Metavis, the company said it plans to use its new funding to scale its engineering, obtain more regulatory clearances, and commercialize globally in specialties including neurosurgery, orthopedic surgery, interventional radiology, and reconstructive surgery. And now, tear down this perimeter. It's hard to believe, but some of the biggest cities in the western United States have limited or no direct air travel access to Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport. This includes San Diego, Seattle, Salt Lake City, San Antonio, and Austin, Texas. The problem is the perimeter rule at Reagan, which generally limits nonstop flights to places within 1,250 miles, roughly the distance to Nebraska. Congress established the rule in 1966 when airline fares, routes, and schedules were set by the now extinct Civil Aeronautics Board. Air travel then was marred by a scarcity of nonstop options, scant competition, and artificially inflated fares. The perimeter rule was originally enacted to ease those problems by helping Dulles International Airport, which opened in 1962, compete with Washington National. But Dulles long ago accomplished that goal, and with its new access to the Washington Metro, its future is even brighter. Rather than improving travel, the perimeter rule now jacks up costs. The Washington region has the highest ticket prices in the country, and Dulles was recently named the most expensive U.S. airport from which to depart. A responsible and measured solution would be to adopt the Direct Capital Access Act. It would authorize an additional 28 round-trip flights at Reagan within the perimeter and beyond. This would balance present travel demand and consumer choice while also preserving access to regional communities. Federal Aviation Administration data reveals that there are multiple blocks of time each day when runway and airspace capacity exceed demand so that air traffic control could safely and efficiently handle more flights. Current routes would be safe. The bill would divide new flights evenly among Reagan's airlines, and ensure new choices for direct flights to cities inside and outside the perimeter as dictated by the market. Every community that currently has service to Reagan would keep it. More than 20 million domestic travelers visited Washington in 2022, many from the West Coast. Millions of Americans would benefit from lower ticket prices, less time on connecting flights, and greater access to America's capital city. Fundamentally, the only reason to oppose modernizing the perimeter rule is to protect some airlines from competition. That motivation certainly still exists in Washington today to the detriment of flyers. If the status quo prevails, consumers will continue to pay the price through higher airfares 
and fewer travel options. And now, how to succeed at failure. The true measure of a great man is how he handles failures. Does he learn from it? Does he blame others or curse his bad luck? Does he bounce back from a terrible setback or succumb to it? Consider Jackie Gleason, born 1916, passed away 1987. His nickname, The Great One, might seem hyperbolic until you see how superbly the comic handled one of his biggest career challenges. Like many Hollywood stars, during his nearly a half a century in show business, Gleason had a share of hits, like the beloved 1950s sitcom The Honeymooners, and flops like his first film, the 1941 nautical comedy Navy Blues. One failure proved particularly embarrassing to the corpulent comedian, but 62 years hence, Gleason's deft navigation of a potentially career-ending disaster remains a master class in both improvisational comedy and crisis management. Disaster struck at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 20, 1961, the day President Kennedy was inaugurated. Gleason had been signed to star in seven episodes of a new CBS television game show called You're in the Picture. The show's format featured four celebrities placing their heads in the holes of life-size representations of famous paintings or song lyrics. The stars would then ask questions of Gleason, the host, to ascertain what scene they were depicting. To say the show bombed would be an understatement. The reviews were universally negative. In 2002, TV Guide ranked the episode ninth on its list of 50 worst TV shows of all time. But what happened the following Friday, January 27th, showed the full measure and medal of Jackie Gleason. In lieu of a second episode of You're in the Picture, Gleason sat on a stage empty except for an armchair and small coffee table. Then, at the pinnacle of his career, Gleason had everything to lose reputationally. The Jackie Gleason Show had run for eight seasons and the Honeymooners for two. But on that bare stage, he managed to deliver the most entertaining mea culpa in television history. For comedy to succeed, it must be truthful. As Gleason stated in this unusual apology episode, we have a creed tonight, and the creed is, honesty is the best policy. He acknowledged laying the previous week the biggest bomb in history, one that would make the H-bomb look like a two-inch salute. For 30 minutes, Gleason regaled the viewers with an extemporaneous apology that dazzled with its wisdom mixture of humility and panache. For the affable Gleason, there's always hope for a better show next time. To demonstrate the unpredictable vagrancies of show business, he cited the 1955 surprise hit film Marty, whose plot is, in Gleason's words, an ugly butcher up in the Bronx can't get a date. Despite having no big-name stars, 
The film won four Academy Awards and four Oscar nominations. By embracing his failure and turning it into a hilarious reflection, Gleason proved that opening maxim about honesty in spades. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.